But I still remember the excitement. Speaking as a former child myself, I'm all for it. Uh, I know grown-ups can enjoy Christmas too. Uh, Samuel, Stan Samuel, being an extreme example. But for most people, it's all about the kids. Uh, Jesus, Jesus must have interacted quite a bit with the children. We had the deleted scenes. Well, I think sometimes the deleted scenes out of the Bible are, are the scenes where Jesus would interact with the children. And I'm sure as his reputation and his impact grew, that parents would want to bring their children to him to be blessed. That's what we seem to see in Mark chapter 10. You can turn there in your Bible if you have yours. There's some Bibles on the, underneath the seats in front of you. Uh, Mark chapter 10. And you can also turn to, to Matthew 18. Put your thumb there and that's actually where, we're, where we'll hang out in just a minute. But the disciples probably wanted to spare Jesus what they determined to be an unnecessary distraction. And so when, when children would flock to Jesus, the disciples would attempt to keep them away. In Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13, it seems to record just such an instance. It says, They brought the young children to him that, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children, or allow the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Then verse 15, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, he put his hands upon them, and he blessed them. It's, it's abundantly clear to me that Jesus loved children. He didn't see them as interruptions. He didn't see them as a bother. He didn't just tolerate them. He valued them. To, to Jesus, children possessed the characteristics and the qualities that he wanted to see in his disciples. In Matthew 18, the first six verses, he says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and he set him in the midst of the disciples. And he said, Verily I say unto you, Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not, you will not, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall receive one of these little children in my name, receives me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. On this special day where we celebrate our children, let me give you this morning four qualities of children that Jesus thinks we should have. Number one, 
unabashed innocence. Kids are innocent. They just do not know enough to be tainted or perverted. You can, you can put two or three little ones from different families in the same bathtub together, and they don't think anything of it. They just splash and play. We say things like, well, don't put a picture of that on Facebook because there's perverted people out there who will see it. Sad, really, that we have to think that way. As adults, we're, we're no longer innocent. We've seen how sick the world can be. We've heard all the twisted stories. We know too much. But kids have unabashed innocence. Unto the pure, Titus says, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and their conscience is defiled. We all know those people who take everything in a dirty way. Everything they hear, they twist into some sexual innuendo or perverted joke. To them, everything is defiled because they process it through a brain that's defiled. Jesus wants us to process information through a mind renewed by the power of God. And as innocent as possible. Can you say amen to that? I know that we can never regain our innocence totally. We can never unsee what we've seen and we can never unhear what we've heard. But that doesn't mean we have to keep seeing it. And that doesn't mean we have to keep hearing it. If we continue to feed this stuff into the hard drive of our mind, we will continue to lose our innocence. God is not calling us to be naive, but he wants us to see life through the eyes of a child. The first quality we should have as disciples is unabashed innocence. The second is unqualified trust. More than once while standing at the bottom of the stairs, I heard someone yell, Daddy, only to look up in time to see one of my children soaring toward me, having just leapt from the landing absolutely convinced that I would catch them. Children just trust us. They they believe in us. They trust their parents. And we hold their lives, their, their hearts, and their tiny, fragile psyches in our hands. Unqualified trust. Children trust teachers. They believe everything the teacher does will be to their benefit. The thought that a teacher could lie to or manipulate a student for their own gain or pleasure is unthinkable to a child. This vulnerability is why so many children have been victimized sexually by clergy. A child just can't wrap his brain around the idea that a priest or a pastor would do anything to hurt him. This unqualified trust leaves them vulnerable to abuse. That's why James 3.1 is so significant. Brethren, be not many masters or teachers, knowing that you shall receive the greater condemnation. Teachers will be held accountable for the tender, trusting hearts they hold in their hands. And yet this is exactly the kind of trust that we need if we're going to sell out 
to Jesus? How else do we get to the place where we trust God when things don't go our way? How do we trust God if our prayers aren't answered or we don't prosper like the wicked seem to prosper? It takes unqualified trust. If we truly trust God, then then with the unqualified trust of a child, then we will trust Him even when our prayers seem unheard or our circumstances are difficult or our friends have betrayed us. Habakkuk spoke well when he said, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall there be fruit in the vines, and the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no food, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, yet I will joy in the God of my salvation. Our trust is not contingent upon our circumstances. Let me say that again. Our trust in God is not contingent upon our circumstances. But our strength in this life is contingent upon our trust in the Lord. Jeremiah the prophet, in chapter 17, verse 7, says, Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the man whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, that spreads out her roots by the river, and she shall not see when the heat comes, and her leaf shall be green, and she shall not be full of care in the year of drought, and neither shall she cease from yielding fruit. True faith trusts God to know what's best for us in the end. Unqualified trust believes that God is always at work in us and for us, regardless of how it may look on the surface. The sun is often hidden behind the overcast sky, but we still trust that it's there. Moses came to the Red Sea, an insurmountable obstacle, and he looked back and he saw the dust stirred up by the thundering horses of Pharaoh's mighty army. The situation was bleak. But Moses looked to God with the unqualified trust of a child. And in Exodus 14, 13, Moses said, Fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Unqualified trust. Daniel's three buddies were given an ultimatum. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And their choices were miserable. They could compromise and bow down to the idol or they could be tossed into the furnace of fire, already heated seven times its normal temperature because of the fury of King Nebuchadnezzar. There was no good answer. But they looked to God with the unqualified trust of a child. And Daniel chapter 3 tells us that they were not only delivered unharmed, but their clothing was unscathed. Not one hair of their head was singed. And get this, The Bible records they didn't even smell like smoke. That's a God thing. Meanwhile, the guards who forcibly threw them into the furnace were consumed by the flames and the intense heat. Unqualified trust. Joshua stood to address the people in the 24th chapter of the book that bears his name. And they were in a new land. They were facing new obstacles. They were confronted by new enemies. The future was uncertain. The challenges many. 
There were plenty of reasons to panic. There were a thousand reasons to flee. But Joshua proclaimed his unqualified trust in the Lord his God. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, Joshua said, then choose you this day whom you shall serve, whether it's the God that your fathers served on the other side of the flood, or if it's the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. Choose your God. Pick your poison. But as for me and my house, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. The unqualified trust of Joshua, the unqualified trust of Daniel's three pals, and the unqualified trust of Moses. It's the unqualified trust of a child. And that's exactly what you and I need as disciples of Jesus. Number three, unbridled enthusiasm. So, number one was unabashed innocence. Second was unqualified trust. Number three, unbridled enthusiasm. Children are excitable. We saw them. I love the way they don't walk down the risers. They jump off the back. You notice that? It doesn't take a whole lot to get them excited about life. They look forward to virtually any investment of time or resources into their little lives. If they see you getting ready to go somewhere, they immediately perk up. Can I go? They don't even know where you're going. Can I go? (laughs) Unbridled enthusiasm. For a child. For a child, life is to be experienced full throttle, pedal to the metal, capillaries wide open, hair straight back, and no holds barred. They run downhill at full speed and live with the consequences. I like that paragraph too. Their unbridled enthusiasm often rubs off on us older folks. Only a kid can get grandpa to roll around on the floor in the midst of a family pig pile. Only a kid can get a woman somewhat past her prime shall we say, to try her gymnastic moves in the living room again. (laughs) Children attack life with an unbridled enthusiasm, and Jesus loves that. We have a a youth pastor here with unbridled enthusiasm. In fact, as you know, we lived just a few blocks from the Husky oil refinery. And when there was a significant explosion there last summer that shook the foundation of the church, and this is true, I thought it was Samuel bouncing off the walls in the youth room. (laughs) His unbridled enthusiasm is contagious. He keeps us on our toes in the office, and he brings out the child in all of us. It's not unusual. If you stopped at the church in the middle of the week to find the staff flying Star Wars drones in the gym or shooting each other with the vast arsenal of Nerf guns stored in his office. (laughs) I wonder how different ministry would look if we all possessed the unbridled enthusiasm of a child. I think it would be contagious if we did. What if we all plunged headlong into ministry and just trusted God for everything else? I think of Kathleen Byswinger coming to talk to me about a year ago at this time 
uh, with the harebrained idea that she could run a summer vacation Bible school for our kids, the children of the neighborhood, and beyond. I mean, what was she thinking? But with the unbridled enthusiasm of a child, she enlisted a team of helpers, petitioned the board for funds, ordered materials, and made it happen. 100 kids showed up every day of the week, got a good meal, had a ton of fun, and learned all about Jesus. And with the unbridled enthusiasm of a child, when it was all said and done, Kathleen said, I could do that again. I hope we have people waiting and willing to invest in our children's ministry when Amanda Peterson, our new children's director, comes on staff next week. I have a concern. My concern is that people will say, oh good, we're, we're paying someone to do the job. They don't need me. First of all, we're not paying Amanda to be the be-all, end-all of children's ministry. We're hiring her to oversee it. In fact, I've told her that it's a condition of her employment for her to be in the Sunday morning service twice a month. She'll need a team, a large team of volunteers to do what we do now, and she will need more of a team than we currently have if we expect her to do more than we do now. I pray God calls many of you to children's ministry in the next few weeks. And I pray that you respond with the unbridled enthusiasm of a child. I pray that he sends us people with a heart for kids and a passion to reach children before they make decisions that can produce a lifetime of pain. Let's reach children early. That's our goal. Let's not just save souls. Let's develop leaders and produce missionaries and ministers that can reach exponentially more children than we could possibly do on our own in the years to come. There's a place on the back of that connection card where you can sign up to be involved with children's ministry when Amanda comes. You can be in on the ground floor of Amanda's ministry to our amazing children. I hope you check that box, and I hope you serve with the unbridled enthusiasm of a child. And finally, quality number four, unlimited humility. Children see themselves as they really are. Children see themselves as they really are. They don't see themselves as better than anyone else, but they don't see themselves as inferior either. Most children have not discovered their limits. When you ask them what they want to be, they don't realize the insurmountable odds against becoming an astronaut or the President of the United States or a pro football player. They aren't being presumptuous. They aren't trying to pretend they're better than anyone. They're just trying to discover who they are and what it is that God has called them to be and what it is that God has called them to do. Adults, on the other hand, and remember, we're talking about the qualities that children possess that Jesus thinks we should possess. Adults, on the other hand, are obsessed with false humility. We think saying we can't do anything or we're not gifted or we're not talented is humble. 
But God mourns our false humility and our self-depreciating comments. He longs for us to have the unlimited humility of a child and for us to to see ourselves as we really are. Meanwhile, our potential is limited by our thinking. And the kingdom suffers because of our self-debasing attitude. Let me make a statement this morning that will help you grasp this principle. You cannot live beyond what you believe. What you believe about yourself caps your potential. What what have you been called to that you avoid because you think you aren't good enough? What ministry should you be involved in but you compare yourself to others and you feel like you don't measure up so you stay away? But what if you saw yourself as you really are? What if you saw yourself as God sees you? What if you lived with the unlimited humility of a child? If you did, I believe that you would tap into the fullness of your potential. And I believe that the sky is the limit. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I grieve the unfulfilled potential of the church. And remember, you are the church. I wish that we could turn the lights out in the sanctuary and a number would light up on our foreheads telling us what percentage of our potential we've tapped into. What percentage of our talents we're using. What percentage of our gifts we are incorporating well. What percentage of our abilities we've taken advantage of. What percentage of our opportunities that we've seized. On the back of that same connection card that I had you refer to, if you would pick that up and and look at that, on the bottom of the back of that connection card, I'll wait for you to find yours and pick it up. What I would like you to do, there's a, there's a blank there with a percent sign. And without putting a lot of thought into it, I would like you to fill that in. And what you're filling in is, this is the percentage of my potential that I think I've reached in the kingdom of God. I'm curious. So don't leave it blank. I'll hunt you down. Don't leave it blank. Fill in a number there for me. What percentage of your potential do you think you've reached for the kingdom? Now remember how this all started. Back in the beginning of Matthew 18, it says at the same time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I can only imagine that this question disappointed Jesus. And so, as a response, and I, and I picture them all sitting around a campfire one night, and they ask that question. And Jesus, in response to the question, who's the greatest in the kingdom, calls a little child unto him. Sees him playing over in the field. Calls a child over. Takes the child. Sets him in the midst of the disciples. What a great visual. You want to be the greatest in the kingdom? Be like this little child. It's clear to me that in the eyes of Jesus, the way to greatness 
is the way of a child. Jesus uses a, a child as the emblem of, of a true disciple, as if, as if to say, this is what you should be like. The point Jesus makes is, is so emphatic that he seems to make childlikeness, not childishness, but childlikeness a prerequisite for salvation. Matthew 18, 3. Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Mark 10, 15. Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. The, the terms child and disciple in these two passages and, and the surrounding verses, Mark 10, Matthew 18, the terms child and disciple are used interchangeably. Why? Because the things characteristic of a child ought to be characteristic of us. Unabashed innocence. There should be a distinction between believers and the world. We should have an innocence about us. It, it should be an unabashed innocence. We should not apologize that we haven't seen the latest R-rated movie and we don't buy into all the garbage that the world is trying to sell us. We should possess an unabashed innocence. We're different. We're set apart. We may never be innocent again in the purest sense of the word, but we are not content to wallow in the muck and mire of sin either. Unqualified trust. Trusting God means we let Him determine our future. Did you hear that? Unqualified trust means we let Him determine our future. And we pray things like, not my will, but yours be done. And we simply obey His commands and we trust His leading. Unqualified trust. Third, unqualified, unbridled enthusiasm. Oh, that we would embrace the adventure of Christianity and just go for it. And finally, unlimited humility. It starts with seeing yourself as you really are. And children are much better at that than adults are. I'm going to close. But let me close with, with three things for you to remember about God. If you're going to have these characteristics, the characteristics of a child then these are three things that you need to remember that will help you reach your potential for the kingdom of God. Number one, God is good. Remember this. God is good. He's not a cruel taskmaster. He's not out to get you. He's not hoping that you, that you stumble so that he can point at you from his big seat in heaven and say, I told you so. God is good. His very nature, His very makeup, His very being is good. God is good. Number two, God actually wants you to succeed. He's in your corner. Listen, as a Christian, you are called by His name. He's, he's for you. He's not against you. Number three, God will help you if you stretch yourself. Hear me now. God does not impose himself on us. But if we need him, he's ready, 
willing and able to assert himself on our behalf. But if you're operating within your own limitations, if you're operating with what you already have, you're essentially on your own. He's already given you everything you need. The thing that initiates the involvement of God, hear me now, the thing that initiates the involvement of God is faith. So step beyond yourself into the realm of faith and tap into the reality of God's power. Be like a child, for of such is the kingdom of God. Would you bow your head with me? Lord, we... We watch the children up here. And they sing. And they don't say to themselves, well, I'm not a good singer. They just sing. And they say their lines. And the door opens and they come charging in. Lord, we marvel at children. There's so much that we can learn from children. And you tried to teach us. And the disciples said, who's the greatest? And you held up a child as the example. Lord, we worry about what people think. We fear rejection. We fear embarrassment. The children don't seem to think about those things. Lord, I pray that you would Help us to be like the children, to have an unabashed innocence, to be distinct and different from the world. In fact, the Bible says that we're a peculiar people. I pray for an unqualified trust. And I, Lord, I know there's people in this room that are going through very difficult situations. And they need the unqualified trust of a child to continue to hold fast to the things of God. Lord, I pray that you'd give them that today. Unbridled enthusiasm. I thank you for children that plunge headlong into whatever it is that comes next. Lord, as far as the church, as far as uh, Christianity, as far as ministry, Lord, that's what I want to be. I want to I plunge headlong into whatever it is that you've called me to. And then that unlimited humility. It starts with seeing ourselves as we really are because ultimately we cannot live beyond what we believe. I pray that for these folks today. And for the one that's here today that may not even be a Christian. Perhaps someone came just to see the kids, the grandkids, whatever it might be. They may not even call you Lord. They may not call you Savior. Lord, I pray that today would be their day. That they would confess their sins that they would repent as we learned in the program, which means to change directions, to begin to live for you. They would call upon your name, the name of Jesus, in whom we find our righteousness and our hope and our eternity. I pray that for that one today. We give you thanks and praise for all that you are. We honor you this Christmas season, and we give you thanks in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to the Christmas Eve service at 5 o'clock on Monday night.